dear Father in heaven, the time has come for us to fellowship with you. We ask, Lord, that the promises you have given in your word, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, will be fulfilled in our lives now as we study. We ask also that this study shall be bread to our soul and that seeds will be sown in our minds that you will nurture that will bring forth good fruits good fruits in our lives lord for that purpose i pray that you put your words in my mouth that the words may be spoken to be spirit and life for all of us lord strengthen us with your word and edify us in jesus name i've prayed amen Conflict and Courage, May 26. A time for courage. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. First Samuel chapter 14 verse 6 because of Saul's sin in his presumptuous offering the Lord would not give him the honor of vanquishing the Philistines Jonathan the king's son a man who feared the Lord was chosen as the instrument to deliver Israel moved by a divine impulse he proposed to his armor-bearer that they should make a secret attack upon the enemy's camp together they withdrew from the camp secretly, lest their purpose should be opposed. With earnest prayer to the guide of their fathers, they agreed upon a sign by which they might determine how to proceed. Approaching the Philistine fortress, they were revealed to the view of their enemies, who said tauntingly, Behold the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves, then challenged them, Come up to us and we will show you a thing, meaning that they would punish the two Israelites for their daring. This challenge was the token that Jonathan and his companion had agreed to accept as evidence that the Lord would prosper their undertaking. Passing now from the sight of the Philistines and choosing a secret and difficult path, the warriors made their way to the summit of a cliff that had been deemed inaccessible and was not very strongly guarded. Thus, they penetrated the enemy's camp and slew the sentinels who, overcome with surprise and fear, offered no resistance. Angels of heaven shielded Jonathan and his attendant. Angels fought by their side and the Philistines fell before them. These two men gave evidence that they were moving under the influence and command of a more than human general. To outward appearance, their venture was rash and contrary to all military rules. But the action of Jonathan was not done in human rashness. He depended not on what he and his armor-bearer themselves could do, 
he was the instrument that God used in behalf of his people Israel. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Time for Courage. Because of the sin of King Saul, Samuel left him alone. He did the sacrifice himself and Samuel told him that his rashness had made it to be that the Lord decided that the kingdom would be taken away from him and his family. If Saul had shown regard for the requirements of God in this time of trial, God would have worked his will through him. His failure now proved him unfit to be the vicegerent of God to his people. He would mislead Israel. His will rather than the will of God would be the controlling power. If Saul had been faithful, his kingdom would have been established forever. But since he had failed, the purpose of God must be accomplished by another. The government of Israel must be committed to one who would rule the people according to the will of heaven. We do not know what great interest may be at stake in the proving of God. There is no safety except in strict obedience to the word of God. All his promises are made upon condition of faith and obedience, and a failure to comply with his commands cuts off the fulfillment to us of the rich provisions of the scriptures. We should not follow impulse, nor rely on the judgment of men. We should look to the revealed will of God and walk to his definite command, no matter what circumstances may, sur may surround us. God will take care of the results. By faithfulness to his word, we may in time of trial prove before men and angels that the Lord can trust us in difficult places to carry out his will, honor his name and bless his people. End of quote. That is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 621, paragraph 5. So that is a lesson for us that when we do not honor God, God will not honor us. God was ready to honor Sam Saul, but because Saul did not honor God in obeying him, and following his directions. What happened? They did not go for that battle anymore. Saul had to withdraw his forces and go somewhere else. They could not go for that battle. But while they were waiting, something happened. God raised up another person right there and then to do the work that Saul was supposed to do. And that was Jonathan, the son of Saul. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 14, from verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass upon the day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that, that bare his armor, Come! and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. So look at, he had about 2,000 people with him before. But because of his rashness in that sacrifice, now how many people does he have with him? 1,400 has left him. There's only 600 with him. Take note of this. 1,400 people have left him because God did not give Saul that confidence. You know, when God usually raises judges like Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, um, Shamgar, Othniel, Ehud, you see that whenever they want to do a work, God puts it in the mind of the people to know that this person, the Lord is leading him, and they gather around that person. But they couldn't do that for Saul. Why? Because Saul was not a godly person. They, could, they, they couldn't have confidence in him. And the lack of confidence in him made them to run away from him. Just 600 with him. And even those ones, they couldn't go to fight. Because Saul himself couldn't move anywhere. If he went to fight, the Philistines would have destroyed him. But now, Jonathan left the camp. 
to do something that the Lord had put in his heart. Reading from now, First Samuel chapter 4, from verse 6, it says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. In saying these words, Jonathan manifested faith. We are gone. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. So the story goes that when Saul, uh, Jonathan went there, the sign he was requesting for, which is that if they tell him to come, then he knows that the Lord has given him the victory. And the sign he was looking for came to pass. So he snuck through a place where they didn't know that someone could come through that place and then he came and he destroyed them out. See what happened after after Jonathan killed about 20 of them. From verse 14 it says, And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men, within as it were an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plough. And there was trembling in the hosts, in the field and among the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. Now God now intervened. He says, and the earth quaked so it was a very great trembling and the watchmen of saul in gibeah of benjamin looked and behold the multitude that's the multitude of the philistines melted away and they went on beating down one another then said saul unto the people that were with him number now and see who is gone from us and when they had numbered behold jonathan and his armor bearer were not there and saul said to ahia bring hither the ark of god for the ark of god was at that time with the children of israel i wonder what the ark was doing there at that time he's doing exactly what hophni and phinehas did bring the ark the ark is not supposed to be there well let's go on and it came to pass while saul talked unto the priests that the noise that was in the host of the philistines went on and increased and saul said unto the priests withdraw thine hand and Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, that they were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, that's that 1,200 and the ones that were with Jonathan before, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth Haven. Wow, what a victory the Lord gave in a very unconventional way. This must have been a very big rebuke to Saul. Do you see what happened when he heard that there was a turmoil? He said, bring the ark. He wanted to inquire of God as though he was a religious person. But when he saw that if he keeps making the inquiry, the battle would be over, he had to stop the inquiry and run to the battle. He always wanted to be the one to overthrow the Philistines. But before he knew it, his son Jonathan, under the guidance of God, was already doing the work and God raised other men who were not self-confident like himself to do the work reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 623. It says, Angels of heaven shielded Jonathan and his attendant. Angels fought by their side, and the Philistines fell before them. The earth trembled as though a great multitude with horsemen and chariots were approaching. Jonathan recognized the tokens of divine aid, 
and even the Philistines knew that God was working for the deliverance of Israel. Great fear seized upon the host, both in the field and in the garrison. In the confusion, mistaking their own soldiers for enemies, the Philistines began to slay one another." End of quote. You see, this is just like it used to happen for the judges. God did this with Jonathan. This was how he gave the victory to Gideon, Samson, Ehud, and many other judges before. It was not by the might and prowess of the leader, but it was by dependence on God. So Jonathan got the victory because he was depending on God. He was not the tallest man in Israel. He was not as mighty as his father. He's not described as someone like that. But because of his heart and spirit to depend on God, because of his piety, he asked the Lord and God worked with him. And he is actually the one that the Lord chose to deliver Israel. And it was a time for courage indeed. We learn lessons from what Jonathan did. Dependence on God, as it has always been for anyone who wants to be used by God. There must be self-distrust instead of self-confidence. Confidence in God instead of confidence in self. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 624, paragraph 1, we are told, Soon the noise of the battle was heard in the camp of Israel. The king's sentinels reported that there was a great confusion among the Philistines and that their numbers were decreasing. Yet it was not known that any part of the Hebrew army had left the camp. Upon inquiry, it was found that none were absent except Jonathan and his armor-bearer. But seeing that the Philistines were meeting a repulse, Saul led his army to join the assault. The Hebrews who had deserted to the enemy now turned against them. Great numbers also came out of their hiding places, and as the Philistines fled, discomfited, Saul's army con committed terrible havoc upon the fugitives." End of quote. So here the Lord is really foiling the plans of Saul. Saul would have wished that he was the one that did this. But before this time, when Samuel left him because of the rash sacrifice he made, the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel 14 verse 18 and 19, it says, And Saul said unto Ahia, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Why did Saul say to the priest, Withdraw your hand? Because he told him to bring the ark. And what was the reason that he told him to bring the ark? He wanted to inquire of God to know what to do. But there was no need anymore because before Saul finishes his inquiry, the battle would have been over. But Saul wanted to be a part of that battle so that he can partake of the glory. So he said, Redraw your hand, let's go to battle. There's no need for us to pray anymore. God can do without those who feel that they cannot depend on him. No man is indispensable. Saul was not indispensable. And God knew how to do what he wanted to do without him. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 622, paragraph 1, we will see why this happened. Saul was in disfavor with God and yet unwilling to humble his heart in penitence. What he lacked in real piety, he would try to make up by zeal in the forms of religion. Saul was not ignorant of Israel's defeat when the Ark of God was brought into the camp by Hophni and Phinehas. And yet, knowing all this, he determined to send for the sacred chest and its attendant priest. Could he by this means inspire confidence in the people? He hoped to reassemble his scattered army and give battle to the Philistines. 
he will now dispense with Samuel's presence and support and thus free himself from the prophet's unwelcome criticisms and reproofs. Saul's effort to arouse the people proved unavailing. Finding his force reduced to 600 men, he left Gilgal and retired to the fortress at Giba, lately taken from the Philistines. End of quote. This actually happened before Jonathan went to fight with his armor bearer. Saul had brought the ark of God because Samuel had left. And when Samuel leaves, the people had more confidence in Samuel more than in Saul. So when Samuel left, the people who were already afraid, their confidence dropped even more. So Saul requested for something greater than Samuel to come, thinking that the outward forms of religion would inspire confidence in the people so that they will, it will now bring confidence to himself. He requested for the ark of God. There is no length that one will not go to when they are in a bid for self-ambition and also self-glory. Even when Saul knew that to bring the ark out of its place to the place of battle was a wrong thing, like it happened in the day of in the days for Hophni and Phinehas where they took the ark of God and then they were destroyed. Saul did the same thing. The Lord was so merciful to King Saul. Had he carried that ark and went to, went to battle, who knows what would have happened. But what happened was that the Lord ignored him. In fact, it looked as though God wanted to finish off the Philistines before Saul came. But when Saul saw what was going on, he said, no more prayer, let us go quickly and fight so that it would be that he was part of it. But if Saul and those 600 men did not come to help Jonathan, the Lord would have still destroyed the Philistines. He did not need Saul. And that was what the Lord was trying to show him. I don't need you. And when we think that we can disobey God and that the work cannot move without us, the Lord will also teach us the lesson that he does not need us. When we are going against his commands and insisting on doing what we think is right, following our own imagination like King Saul, the Lord will teach us a lesson that he does not need us and will raise someone else to do the work that he wants to be done. It reads in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 623, paragraph 1, God had permitted matters to be thus brought to a crisis, that he might rebuke the perversity of Saul and teach his people a lesson of humility and faith. Because of Saul's sin in his presumptuous offering, the Lord will not give him the honor of vanquishing the Philistines. Jonathan, the king's son, a man who feared the Lord, was chosen as the instrument to deliver Israel. Moved by a divine impulse, he proposed to his armor bearer that they should make a secret attack upon the enemy's camp. It may be, he urged, that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. The armor bearer, who also was a man of faith and prayer, encouraged the design, and together they withdrew from the camp, secretly, lest their purpose should be opposed. With earnest prayer to the guide of their fathers, they agreed upon a sign by which they might determine how to proceed and the rest is history. We know they went and destroyed the people. We learn a lesson from here that for us to, like in the case of Jonathan, that those who are indeed the courageous people will also need other people to encourage them. The armor bearer of um, Jonathan, well, even though we don't know his name, he was also a man of faith and he showed it by telling Jonathan, I am behind you. Let us go. And we need such people around us. People who will not be despondent. People who will not be hopeless. But people who inspire faith and say, let us go. When there is a divine impulse. Who will not hold back and feel like, hmm, maybe we are taking things too far here. But this man, the armor bearer of Jonathan, was also is someone to take note of. Because he assisted Jonathan by, by encouraging Jonathan's faith. And they did the work that the Lord wanted them to do. 
From here, we learn the lesson that skill, talent, intelligence, and power that is not tempered by wisdom, trust in God, self-distrust, and confidence in God. When there is no restraint to the skill that you have and the talent, if you don't have self-control, mix that with experience in working with God. Eventually, it will lead to arrogance, impatience, and an overestimation of one's own ability and strength and that was what happened to Saul he overestimated himself he looked more at his skill his talent his intelligence his strength and it was not mixed with trust in God and because of that there was arrogance in him God cannot work with those who have a high opinion of their own abilities and skill those who will not be guided by his principles and will not inquire from him what to do will be rejected of him and if when rebuked we justify ourselves this is the worst sin we can bring upon ourselves so we learn from the life of jonathan and the life of saul also that the person who the lord will work with is he who inspires who has trust in god but not trust in himself and when we choose to go against god's ways the lord knows how to embarrass he also knows how to put us aside and do the work without us and that was what he did with saul he only honored those that honored him as Saul will not honor him. Now, did they need to do any sacrifice to go to this battle? There was no need for it. Even if Samuel had not come for seven days, is that still what warranted Saul to go and make a sacrifice? Do you see now how bad it was? When Ehud went to overcome the Moabites, did he do any sacrifice? What of people like uh, Samson? Did they need any sacrifice? Why did Saul believe that because Samuel has not come, to do the sacrifice then he forced himself to do the sacrifice there was no other reason than to show himself to be one religious pious person and the reason he said it himself it was not because it was necessary to do it but he said with his own lips that it was because the people were running away from him it was a selfish reason that he did that sacrifice i'm doing it because people are running away from me you are making me look bad in their eyes assuming you had come since that's what he was saying to samuel assuming you had come all this while the people will not run away from me you are making me have a bad face before the people and he was offended actually with samuel and that's why he did the sacrifice himself like he said i forced myself in his heart he was cherishing some kind of annoyance and irritation towards samuel he has not come all this while first day second day third day fourth day fifth day you can just imagine how saul was feeling where is this samuel and the people were deserting him by numbers hundreds 200 now 1200 had run away from him and he couldn't take it anymore in annoyance angry with samuel he went to do something that samuel was supposed to do he really acted foolishly he was indeed a foolish man for what he did in trying to do something that was not in his place to do why didn't he just go to the battle instead he was trying to create a show just trying to do something for drama to make the people feel confident i'm about to make a sacrifice oh the king i'm also in place to do such a thing as though because i'm a king i also have the office of a prophet when did he start being a king who gave him that position is it not just two years ago that he was selected as king now he's pushing himself up to the position of prophet and priest who gave him that position nobody we should be careful lest we overreach and do things that it is not in our place to do out of irreverence or impatience or just to make ourselves have a show in the eyes of the people and it was not necessary for him to do that he only did it for show to make the people to see him as a pious person and to inspire confidence in himself not to inspire confidence in god so that they will not run away from him not that they will not run away from god 
terrible thing in the mind of Saul. But all these things were written for our learning. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 Now all these things happened unto them for ensembles, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Have you been admonished by this? We should be careful lest we be presumptuous. That is the lesson. And if we do not have courage like Jonathan to do just what God said we should do, we will exhibit presumption. Because that was what Saul did. What is presumption? It is to do something that you were not told to do and thinking that by doing that, the Lord will still prosper you when the Lord did not ask you to do that thing. Many are presumptuous today, taking upon themselves work that the Lord did not ask them to do, taking upon themselves um, ceremonies that are not necessary, thinking that, oh, if I do this, the Lord will be with me. You go for a battle that you were not sent to go for, then you will be discomfited like Saul. And that's what presumption is. Some people will be presumptuous and they will say, oh, the Lord will be with me. We've heard of people who do that. And they said to themselves, one man who said to himself, I'll enter the lion's den and nothing will happen to me. Wanting to do a show to people to make them see that he's a man of God. And when he entered the zoo, not the den now, of lions, they ate him up. I heard of some women, some Korean ladies who were supposed to go for an evangelism and they met a flood on the way. And they said, let us walk on the, on the water and it will part just like it did for Moses. And they prayed to the Lord that the water should part for them so that they will walk through dry land and they will go to the place they are going to do evangelism. They put their legs in the water and the water swept them away and they died. Why? That is presumption. They were never asked to do such a thing. God never told them to do that. Before Moses parted the Red Sea or Joshua, God, he heard from, they heard from God. They did not presumptuously just go to the river and say, follow me. I'll show you something. Let's just go and pass through, go through the water and we'll pass through it. It'll turn to dry, dry ground. If they had tried that, both Moses and Joshua, they would drown. Presumption means that you don't hear the word of God and you want to go and do a great work or do something thinking that the Lord will be compelled to save you because you called his name. You called his name, but did he call your name? If he didn't call your name and you are calling his name and he didn't give you a word for what you are doing, then you are presumptuous. Just like Cain, he was presumptuous. The Lord asked for a sacrifice which was supposed to be the sprinkling of blood. But Cain presumptuously brought what he had in his own mind, expecting that since it is the best of his fruits of the ground, the Lord would accept it. Thinking that because he has just lighted it there and it is the best of what he has, then the Lord will accept it. God says if you don't do well, you will not be accepted. Let us not be presumptuous in following the Lord. Like Jonathan, let us first of all check, is the Lord with me? Has he given me the opportunity to do what I want to do? Which is what Jonathan did. He said to his armor bearer, if we go there and they tell us, come and meet us, we'll show you a thing. Then we will know that the Lord has prospered us. But if they say, come to us, and he had prayed about it and told the Lord, please, I don't want to move on my own. So let me know whether you are with me. Let me know. And when the Lord showed him that he was with him, he went in that faith and he conquered the Philistines. And it was through him that the Philistines were finally subdued. The lesson is for all time. The lesson is for today. Let us be those who are following the Lord and not those who are presumptuous. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that these lessons that has been taught now by your grace will work out righteousness in our lives. That we won't make the, the, the mistake of presumption like King Saul did, but that we will have that confidence in you and lose confidence in self. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Thank you.